0: Let's uh, stand together, and uh, if we have the, uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter eight, and uh, there we have it up there. And so we'll say these uh, words together, uh, from uh, follow, from eight, uh, beginning at, uh, excuse me, we're beginning at verse sixteen, and we'll read through verse twenty-one. Okay. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Please be seated. I remember a number of years ago that uh, when I was uh, teaching from this uh, passage, um, I was involved in a uh, pulpit exchange in uh, Winnipeg and uh and so i was actually called to exchange pulpits with the pastor at pilgrim baptist church Uh, that was a very black church Uh, we are mixed we got black and white and everything in between which is wonderful well they they were wonderful too but they they were essentially black and here I'm sitting during the worship part of the service, and I mean, they are a responsive congregation. You know, they would, you would hear the amens and the preach it, and that's right. And, and I'm kind of thinking, my goodness, how is this going to work? I'm talking about something that isn't particularly enthusiasm and good feeling, but I'm talking about, you know, the objective Word of God, which we're going to talk about this morning. How is this going to work? And uh, then I realized that I can be what I was used to many years before. Some of you remember me saying that I grew up in a Pentecostal kind of a church, <laughs> where, where praise the Lord and amens were just common, you know. And so I sort of reoriented myself to, to that kind of mindset as I was speaking and, uh, and, you know, adjusting my words because I knew there'd be responses. And we got along wonderfully. That was was interesting. You know, they appreciated me. I appreciated them. But it was that type of rhythm almost in in a very black church, which was not that dissimilar to the church I'd grown up in. But regarding this uh, particular passage here, I want to begin with uh, uh, a Sunday school teacher that uh, reported in a gospel light publication. And uh, this is what the teacher says. Each fall... I divide my 6th grade Sunday school class into three groups to compete in setting a jigsaw puzzle. There is only one rule. Put together the puzzle without any talking. Okay, All three of them. Group one receives the pieces and the box top with a picture of the puzzle. Group two, however, receives the pieces, but without knowing it, the box top from another puzzle. Group three receives the pieces without any box top. Group one, that's the one that has both the picture and the puzzles, is somewhat frustrated by not being allowed to talk, but they still make steady progress. Group two keeps trying to use the picture, but nothing seems to work. And since the kids in the group can't say anything, their frustration level soars. They look at me with pleading eyes. And soon I see the wrong box top come flying out of the group. Group three is interesting because the kids have nothing to guide them. They do their own thing. And they give up and just lie on the floor. What's the point here? Much of life is like the pieces of the puzzle. The pieces are all there for us but we need the right picture to know where the pieces fit there are many pictures that don't work around us picture of materialism hedonism the picture that cults offer picture of those preachers who promise health and wealth and success. And the secular religion today, um, secular value system, which you could almost say, quote-unquote, is a a religion, it seems to be in our society that everyone should be free from any man-made religious rules or any restrictions on morality, particularly sexual morality. And that uh, nobody or no organization, certainly no religion, has a right to tell us how to live. And yet that same system is really quite authoritative about their chosen values. You know, inclusiveness, very big. And uh, their choice of social justice, and that's good. We, uh, We go along with the social justice issues, but the inclusiveness, for example... But the inconsistency here, or the built-in contradiction, is that on the one hand, total freedom, and yet on the other hand, very demanding, uh, very demanding on what they expect. I propose that the answer to life's deepest questions, and especially the questions of who I am and what is my purpose here in life, is to be found in the person of Christ who himself said that I am the way. I am the truth. That I am the life. What a comprehensive statement when you think about it. Truth. All truth coheres in me. Truth that is relevant to how to live. It coheres in me. And I'm the way. You know, follow me. And uh, I'm the way of life. I am the life. What a claim. And as Christians, we, we accept that claim. But to know the truth and the way of life in Him, we know it is in Him, but to really know the way in Him, we have to have a true knowledge of Him. And the way that we will have this is through His teachings, His words. And then actually, as we begin with Christ, we realize that the whole Bible really points to Him and as i said i think last week was that uh, we see how that the apostles and we see that the proper way that they the way they interpreted the old testament was sort of through the grid of understanding that they point to jesus christ well in order to really hear him and benefit by his answers in the many challenges those inevitable puzzles in our lives. We need to hear, we need to listen to the teachings. Now there's a lot of biblical illiteracy among us. Uh, You know, when you consider how the church has been so widespread in North America all these years, there's a lot of biblical illiteracy. Pastor John Ortberg Uh, current pastor, still in his prime, I would say, but uh, this is a few years ago, he informs us that some 65 million copies of the Bible are either bought or distributed in the U.S. every year. 65 million. Nothing else is a close second. The average house has at least three copies. People cheer the Bible, they buy the Bible, they give the Bible, they own the Bible. They just don't actually read the Bible. (laughs) And then according to George Gallup, this is part of the same quotation from Ortberg, uh, a third of those surveyed know who delivered the Sermon on the Mount, 33%. Uh, Fewer than half can name the first book of the Bible, and 80% of born-again Christians believe the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. 80% of born-again Christians believe that that is in the Bible. And he says, it's Ben, yes, thank you, Kevin, it's Ben Franklin, if you're curious. Well, in the passage we're looking at today, there is an emphasis upon hearing listening, living by the teachings of Jesus. It's in this very longer passage in uh, chapter 8 here of Luke that you have the parable of the sower, which is about Jesus' kingdom message and how people responded to it. And then you have the uh, verse that uh, is sort of like our theme of the sermon this morning, verse 18. Be careful, consider carefully how you listen, and that would be to the teachings. And then uh, we also read down in verse uh, 21 where, where Jesus replied to, uh, to the situation where, they, where mom and the brothers wanted to see him, and he says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That's the emphasis here. And so the verse we're especially wrapping our thoughts around, verse 18, Therefore consider carefully how you listen. Or a new RSV has, Pay attention to how you listen. ESV, take care. Take care how you hear. And again, referring to the teachings. Now to listen carefully, of course, is not only to hear it as head knowledge, God's word is for response, for obedience. So to listen carefully then would be to really hear it with understanding so that you get it right. And then to accept it as God's authoritative word for me, accept it as the way of yielding and submitting to Jesus' authority is to be directed by his teachings. And then, of course, to obey it. That's the emphasis. A lot of good practical reasons why we need to listen carefully so that we can obey. But we're going to look at three in this passage especially, and then I want to add some implications at the last part of the sermon. But beginning with these three, be careful how you listen so as we sang that you can really be light, so that you can be light, that Jesus can shine through us. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar, puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come can see the light. If you've begun to listen, if you responded positively to the light, you're going to want it to even be brighter so that everyone can see it. We live in a place of darkness, in a world of darkness. And we need to listen carefully so that we can be more illuminating light. But I'm going to come back to that later as we look at the implications. And so I want to go to the second one, and that is to progress rather than regress. You catch that? We need to listen carefully so that we progress instead of regress. Notice what he says in 18b. He says, whoever has whoever has will be given more. And whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. What's he saying here? That uh, the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer? Is that what it kind of sounds that way? Well, he's of course not talking about money. He's talking about the teaching here. Listen carefully and heeding the words of Jesus. When you do that, listening carefully and heeding the words results in more understanding. That's not hard to understand that. But failing to pay attention may result in forgetting whatever understanding one may have had already. And, you know, it's, like I say, it's not rocket science. And, of course, we have a saying about everything here. It says, you know, if you don't use something, you, what? You lose it. Don't use it, you lose it. It is by persevering in the teaching that what we have gained has been, will be secured and consolidated. See, the call of our Lord is not simply to accept him and, and that's it but it's to accept him and then to follow him. That's true of all Christian traditions. We differ in the way that the beginning is, but I think we're together on, hey, it's not just a, meant to be a beginning. It's to follow through. Following him assumes a journey. And uh, as he said in John 10:27, 27, uh, my sheep hear my voice, Okay. And I know them and then and they follow me. It's a journey. I need to listen and persevere in hearing his word so I can persevere in following him. Persevere in the word so I can persevere in following him. One of the many, many parts of the legacy that Eugene Peterson has left for us. Here's, here's one quotation from him. He says, one aspect of the world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. And he says also one of those lies is that we can have instant discipleship or shortcut spirituality. It's not the way, folks. We need to listen carefully so we can continue, so we can persevere, so we can, uh, we can make progress. I remind you of the description that Jesus gave of those who were represented by the good soil in the parable uh, just above in the same chapter. There were those who received the word joyfully, but they soon fell away when tested because they had no root. And then there were others again who responded, but they were sidetracked by riches and worries and pleasures. And in both cases, it's like their response to Jesus never happened. You write the history of their life, it would just wouldn't really matter. And because here in that parable, it's about reaching maturity, which is producing fruit in that case. And so it's like it was a non-event for the others. But those represented by the good soil... As we see in verse 15, it says, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and there's that word, by persevering, produce a crop. They progressed rather than regressed. Now when I do that, there is something that follows, and that's going to bring me to the next point. When I continue the journey, I demonstrate something that His Word really took, okay? That it really took. It's like my response was for real, and that means that I am for real as a Christian. There's a genuine factor here. And Jesus said in John 8 31 and 32. And everybody's familiar with verse 32. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Right? Everyone knows that. But listen to verse 31. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Wow. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so that's really the third point here that I should listen carefully to His Word. Meaning, of course, that I take it seriously and respond to it to confirm that I really do belong to Him. That I really do belong. You know, as, it, as He said there in, uh, in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's Word and put it into practice. They're the ones who really belong to my family. And we have similar teaching in 11.28. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Hmm. And why would he say that? Is, is, Is he showing disrespect to motherhood and family ties? And we know, of course, that Jesus... Wasn't doing that, but he's teaching that even more important than earthly family ties is belonging to his spiritual family. And that those who belong to him, to his spiritual family, who are they again? They are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Confirms that I belong. See, the faith that brings us into relationship with Christ, it's an obedient faith. A faith that puts his words into practice. And so listen diligently. Listen with a view of putting into practice. Because hearing only, knowing only, remembering only, does little good if the putting into practice is missing. Well, those are the, the three uh, reasons that come directly out of the, out of the text. We are to listen carefully so that we can shine, uh, so that we progress rather than regress, and so that we confirm that we really are for real. We belong to him. But getting really practical, I want to talk about three implications that that follow and uh, that's part of considering carefully what he's teaching is. And the first one is the interpretation part. Bad interpretation, even with good intentions, has led to all kinds of serious errors. To listen carefully is to interpret carefully and to make sure that, you know, it's not just me, but together we interpret carefully. The Bible mishandled has been used to justify all kinds of things. I think you know something of that. Isolation—you know—we're not to be in the world, so let's just colonize and be ourselves. That goes against the teaching of Jesus—that you live in the world, you're salt in the world. It's interesting that passage we keep referring to—it it would assume that you're involved. Otherwise, you're putting your light under the bushel. Isolation is one of the bad. Segregation. And people have used the scriptures to justify segregation. Slavery. The Bible's been used to justify slavery. It has also led to self-mutilation. You know, there's this teaching by Jesus that if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends, offends you, uh, and offends in terms of temptation and causing you to stumble and do wrong. Pluck it out, he says. Imagine what bad interpretation does. People take that very literally. Not understanding the principle of interpretation that uh, literary norms apply, that Jesus and others in the Scripture used metaphors and figures of speech and hyperbole. And anything else you can think of that's good literature in order to highlight their point. And there have been some of that going on in history, self-mutilation. Mark Buchanan, in his book, Your God is Too Small, says that the Bible often uses the image of eating as a metaphor for study. Jeremiah says that when God's word came to him, he ate it. And there's a text in Ezekiel where the prophet is commissioned to proclaim God's truth, but is first told he must eat God's words. Buchanan tells us that the Ethiopian emperor, Menelik II, took this literally. Whenever he fell ill, he would eat actual pages from the Bible in the belief that this would cure him. He died in 1913 after ingesting the entire book of 2 Kings. We can't help but chuckle, and it won't matter to him now if we laugh. But isn't that serious and an example of terrible <laughs> interpretation? This happened uh, in 1913. That's, that's within my parents' lifetime. It's not that long ago. Bad interpretation. Failure to interpret the word carefully can lead to tragic errors. And uh, and so, what is the answer to that? And I think the most simple, straightforward, at least a starting point, is to interpret, to hear, to listen carefully to God's word together. Plurality. We are a body. We're a family. We're not intended to hear and interpret God's Word in isolation, but rather to have the checks and balances that come from hearing together. I mean, just imagine. Imagine I'm in a men's Bible study, and it's a good Bible study with a good teacher, okay, who knows a little bit about interpreting Scripture. And I announce one day, in all sincerity, you know, I've... I'm guilty of gossip, and it happens again and again and again, and I have decided that on Friday, if I do it again, before, uh, between now and Friday, I'm going to cut out my tongue. Can you imagine? In a good, wholesome men's Bible study, they're going to they're show me how wrong I am. They're going to help me with that, right? I believe the answer, in part, plurality. Plurality we're in this together and i mentioned bible study too that uh, you know there might be a place for saying some of the creeds because it's sort of the base it's it's reminding you of the basics that the church through the ages has really believed in and part of good interpretation is to have respect for peop- what people have decided long ago and have practiced i say as a pastor i would be irresponsible if I didn't regularly check with some commentaries as I interpret the Scripture? Who am I to think that I can understand it all alone, that, that I'm not in touch with others? Part of the safety in good interpretation is through numbers. You know, in one of the churches I served, as a, a, an earlier pastor in the church had actually attempted to get a policy in place that only he should be permitted to interpret the Bible in that congregation. Now, that is almost hard to imagine. And that was in a Baptist church. And it wasn't long before the church split. No surprise there. But it's a cult mentality. The potential for destruction is staggering. We need each other. We need to, not just Jesus told me, but this is what Jesus is saying to us. And uh, I didn't think of this before, but it seems to me that our conversation with the gathering now is is a case in point. How are you reading it? How am I reading it? Togetherness in interpretation. Gordon MacDonald has a warning here and he says, or a concern, he says, how can Western people, seduced by the destructiveness of extreme individualism, how can we be awakened to the power of community? Wherein people discover the genius of life together. He says, is it not time to explore what it means to stop saying, Jesus spoke to me, and rather say, Jesus spoke to us? interpretation. We are in family, and uh, as family, there are the checks and balances in place of hearing God's word together in community. Second implication, and it comes out of carefully listening, I would say at least one of the most important desired outcomes From the teaching of the Word would be to edit, adjust our sense, to edit and adjust our sense of what is important. In other words, lining up our values with Jesus' values. One of the most important outcomes of carefully hearing God's Word. And uh, that relates to what I said about that song we sang. I just thought it was so wonderful in its wording. It talked about our attitudes being changed, for example, and many other good points in that song. But the desired outcome so that our value system lines up with his values. I mentioned at the beginning of the many pictures of the good life that are offered to us, pictures actually of distorted values pictures of materialism, hedonism. Materialism suggesting that life and its meaning is to found in things, stuff, more and more of things. Hedonism suggesting that pleasure or happiness is the goal and meaning of life. Seek pleasure directly and place it on top of your hierarchy of values. Others would be power, And uh, not physical, I've probably told you before about one of our sons when he was growing up, to him physical power was everything, you know, and he would uh, routinely ask me when some male friend was over at our house, and he would say, could you take him? And that was his language for could I wrestle him to the ground or could I beat up on him? And I'm afraid I disappointed him most of the time because he wanted to think that my dad is bigger than your dad. (laughs) But that was just physical power, okay? But how about dominance? Mm. Dominance. Dominating or ruling over others. Another distorted picture would be popularity. Living for the applause of others. And many of these can be significant desires in the context of devoted discipleship and I would say devoted but perhaps a bit blind discipleship for example pastors can be driven to be the most popular preacher or having the largest church or dominating as a leader being a strong leader But, you know, I think any kind of idolatry never satisfies fully. You know, they can be like salt water for thirst. You always want more, 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 more popularity, more pleasure, more stuff, more, more, more illicit pleasure of one kind or another, more applause, more control of my territory, my kingdom. But, you know, We are to have our values, our sense of what is most important, edited, refined, evolved through teaching, where more and more our values are lined up with his values. And it would be no surprise that it is as we live by his values, his kingdom values, that we best promote the kingdom not rocket science live by his values to promote his kingdom values john said in john 8:12 and here's where i'm getting back to that uh, being a light that shines john 8:12 he says i am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life and then in matthew let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. He is the source of light. But it's as we walk in his light that we too become light. I was thinking as we sang that old song, Shine, Jesus, Shine, that how is he going to shine in in Canada? Largely through his people, that we are the light of the world but we only project the light when our lives are lined up with his teachings, and that means that together we consider carefully how we listen to his word. Remember that that verse, let your light so shine, it occurs right in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the Context where Jesus teaches the standards of His kingdom, loving the enemy, for example, refusing revenge, serving, being peacemakers. It's as we live by His values that we will best influence, that we will especially be light in the world of darkness. I close with an example of distorted teaching but then a wonderful awakening by the person some of you will remember the tv evangelist jim baker of the ptl club popular i think with his own kind of people really taught the health wealth prosperity gospel And then he had a disgraceful fall and he ended up in a federal penitentiary for misappropriation of funds. Jim Baker had a wonderful awakening in prison. In an interview with Christianity Today, and this was in December of '99, Baker tells how in prison he was desperately seeking God and finally had a dream where Jesus took a liver out of his own eye and put it into Baker's eye and he said to him I want you to see everyone and everything through my eyes my values, my standards I want you to see everyone and everything through my eyes and he says that was the first time I had even an inkling that maybe God might still talk to me when I woke up, I knew immediately I had to start reading the Word of God. If I was going to look at everything through Christ's eyes, then I had to know Him. I began to read and write down every word as recorded in the Gospels. And he says, I wept that I, uh, that I could have been so wrong preaching another Gospel and another Jesus. Jesus called riches... Deceitful riches. He even said, woe unto the rich. And he was saying things like, you can't serve God and money. And he never cast wealth in and riches into a good light. How could I have spent so much time emphasizing financial blessings? So contrary to the word. Listen carefully. Consider carefully how you listen. How did Jim Baker come to his error? How did he discover the more accurate picture that seeing through the eyes of Jesus? Soaking up the teaching of the Gospels. Soaking up the teaching of the Gospels and thereby the values that are prioritized in the Gospels. For example, faithfulness, more important than success. Servanthood rather than power. Generosity over wealth. Consider carefully how you listen. Then even as the waves and the water obeyed Him, which we covered last week in the same chapter, so that even as the waves and the water obeyed Him, we too yield to His authority and obey Him.